Good morning, everybody. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at two scriptures. I know that's crazy. Uh, but I believe these, uh, we're going to look at Psalm 23 and Mark 6. Uh, last week, uh, if you were here, not on the women's retreat, uh, we talked about Jesus uh, sending out his disciples to go out and preach uh, good news to each village, taking nothing with them, uh, casting out demons, healing the sick. And, and that's exactly what they did. And then this second part of Mark 6, we're going to kind of see some of the aftermath of that. Uh, But first, I want to read Psalm 23. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And then Mark 6 says this, starting in verse 30. It says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns, and got there ahead of them. And when he, Jesus, went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and the villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in the groups by hundreds and fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, He looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to all the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Immediately, He made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. 
And he meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Uh, bless you. Cutest little sneeze ever. Uh, a, a few months ago, uh, I was on a, or headed on my way to Mexico, uh, and uh, I had a book coming out, came out like that day, uh, which is always really a stressful, anxious moment for me. I think some people imagine like confetti or something like that, but for me it's like, oh gosh, people are going to read this. Um, and people were telling me that people were reading it, and so then that was really even more terrifying. Uh, we have a remodel project going on in our house. We were struggling to get it done. I had this big expectations. Um, I have a wonderful wife and kids who are full of desires, uh, and I have two jobs. And on that way to Mexico, something uh, got unraveled in me, uh, because I really, I think that I want to do uh, really great at everything that I do. Um, I want to do more, accomplish all these wonderful things. I can even say it in the name uh, of God. I want to do these things. I want to think well enough. I want to write well enough. I want to treat people kind enough. Uh, whatever I do, I just want to do uh, to the best. Uh, some of you can relate to that. Uh, but when Mirella dropped me off at the airport, I slammed the door, I yelled some things, and I walked into the airport, completely undone, uh, anxious and angry. Not like a romantic goodbye airport thing that you see in the movies. Not even a like nice Uber drop-off. <laughs> As I was going through security... Uh, in the fast line, I'm TSA pre-checked. It makes me feel very special. I began to realize that uh, as much as I wanted to be enough in life, I just wasn't. I'm just not enough. For all of those categories of things that I'm supposed to be doing, I am just not enough. Uh, not enough for family, for wife, for church, for jobs, for work. Not enough. As much as I want to pretend or believe or portray, I'm just not. But here, here's the thing. Uh, I'm not special in that way. Like, we are not enough. And that feeling of coming up to the grips of our own limits uh, is also not special. Uh, we live... Uh, in kind of a churn and burn culture, right? Does, does anyone feel that? Just slightly? Um, we live in a city that subtly whispers on every street, at every office, at every PTA meeting, at every interaction in our neighborhoods, whatever it might be, there's this subtle whisper of, well, you could do more, probably. Uh, you could accomplish even greater things. Couldn't you try more and have a few more friends, a few more social interactions? Couldn't you network a little bit more, get a little bit better of a degree? Couldn't you add on top? Couldn't you do something great? Be a little more active. But while our, our culture, our bosses, our 
friends, our spouses, whatever, our teachers, while they're all telling us you can do more, we know that we can't. We know deep within our souls we are not enough. You don't have enough for all of that. You don't have enough time. You don't have enough energy. You don't have enough skill. You don't have enough resource to be enough for what people expect. I believe in in this passage, in both passages we read, but particularly this one where Jesus is speaking, I believe he has something to say to us in that moment of, we are not enough. Directly into our souls, even this morning, I think Jesus has clear things to say to each of us if we're willing, if we're open to that happening. Uh, And what Jesus has to say is not about better priorities uh, or better work-life balance um, or better apps that we could download to make sure that we are calm. That was good. Those are the kind of laughs that you want, you know, like the subtle roar. (laughs) Jesus has more to say than I hoped for as I was breaking down on my way to Mexico and as I had to tell coworkers on flights, you know, I'm just like not, not good for this. He had more to say than just, this is how you prioritize things better. This is how you talk kindly to your wife. The first thing Jesus says is he says, come away and rest a while. The disciples had just gone from village to village. They took nothing with them, but they didn't come back starving. They they didn't come back uh, worn out or beat out, but they came back excited. They had all of these awesome things to describe. Like they, they literally went to village to village and they saw that the kingdom of God took actual land or space in people's hearts and pushed back evil and darkness and unclean spirits and even the brokenness of our human bodies. They themselves went out and saw that happen through their own voices, through their own hands. It was like exciting good news. It was like the best kind of report we could ever give. Like if we came here today and each of us said, you know what, I cast out evil in my friend's life. We all had something like that. And I I saw this person who was sick for a long time be made well. And there were these other people that I thought would never, ever believe in God are suddenly repenting and believing in God. If we all came into this room to say that kind of thing, Uh, I mean, we could do that next Sunday in Celebration Sunday. That would be cool. Nice little challenge. But we would say, like, wow, this is the most amazing report we could have ever received. Let's do it again, guys. But Jesus looks at them. And I want you to hear his voice speaking even to you. He says, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. The story tells us that people were coming and going. Uh, that, that as they followed Jesus, there were people joining their ranks, walking alongside them, and then leaving them. And as we study the Gospel of Mark, we'll see that over and over again. People that come up and say, I want to follow you wherever you go, and then, you know, bail. They were experiencing that sort of relational fatigue where people come and join you, and you think you're going to share some meaningful life with them for a while, and then abandon you. And then another person comes, and and I think these words, people were coming and going from our lives, we could adopt for the sort of the emotional, relational fatigue that we often feel. 
So that was going on, and it also said that they didn't even have leisure to eat. They had, you know, fast food options to them. They were eating on the run. They weren't literally starving, but what they lacked deeply was the times where you just sit at a table and you recline and you laugh and you listen to one another and you eat slowly and you have what the Bible describes over and over again of just fellowship and rest. That kind of meal. They didn't even have space for that. They were just, uh, Jordan and I were joking that we eat RX bars for breakfast. You know, there you are. Uh, there's more redheads in here than there used to be. I thought it was you for a second. Anyway, uh, that we're just grabbing stuff and going on to the next thing, on to the next relationship, on to the next task. And Jesus looks at them and he says, come away and rest for a while. Not on to the next thing. Not on to the next relationship. Not on to the next village. He just says, Let's go away and rest for a while. It's telling because what you see is that Jesus simultaneously cares about you and the mission of the kingdom of God at the same time. That he's not doing either or. That his goal for your life is not to use you and churn you out and then spit you out and then hire somebody else. His whole desire, he can hold within his own heart and will a desire to see every person know him and you to be completely cared for and at rest. Even though he gives them the power and the authority to fight demons, right, like we talked about last week, that they were ambassadors, representatives of God himself, in all of these villages, even though he gave them that kind of power, he didn't give them the power to go without rest. Maybe in his wisdom he said, I'm going to make you need rest. I'll give you an ability to love like the angels and speak beautifully. I'll give you an ability to uh, serve and care for the poor, but you will still need rest. The other thing that's fascinating is that he uses the same command language that he used earlier. Earlier, he commands them to go to all the villages. He tells them, like, go and and do this stuff. And then he commands them to come away and rest. He doesn't say, hey, here's an invite. If you want, if you're feeling blue, like, you can take some, some PTO if you want. Instead, Jesus says, no. What we're doing now is we're going away and resting. And they had to obey just as they did before. It's the same force of them calling them to each village. He, he uses it and applies it to call them to the wilderness. It's uh, to ignore this call to rest, to come away with him and listen to his voice. To ignore that call is like ignoring the call to care for the poor or love your neighbor, or any of those other things. Jesus says, rest. And just a quick, uh, you know, aside here. I can stand to the side even. Uh, He's not talking about pampering, like self-pampering, or like a treat-yourself day, you know? Like, just go out there and just do whatever you want and self-indulge. He's not even describing a vacation. You know, this 
This reality where what we do is we say, let's just burn everything we have within ourselves, and then at the end, uh, we'll take a vacation and we'll go to Mexico, and that'll make everything okay. We'll just we'll spill it all out and then go to Europe. He's, he's not calling us to do that or abandon our problems or find some sort of escape. Rather, Jesus' call is this, come away with me and rest. Let me speak to you. Let me restore your soul. Let me have a quiet moment with you. Leisure, like a meal with good friend, where you spend lots of time. There's pauses. There's a, there's a lack of even things happening, but what you're experiencing is a fellowship with the Savior of the world. I mean, I think practically, as I've been encouraged to be more practical, it's like taking one night each week and you're saying, no one's coming over and I'm not going anywhere. As much as people ask me, as much as many good things come along, I'm going to say no sometimes because Jesus, while he's telling me to love my neighbors, is also telling me, come away and rest. Setting aside a moment where we have this quiet place with God, where we actually hear his voice. It means prayer in the cool of the day. It means watching a sunset and asking, Jesus, what do you want to say to me? I'm listening. Come away and rest. The next thing he says is, bring me, you're not enough. This is a fun story. The kids, I'm sure, have learned it four or five times in the back. You probably did a bunch if you were, you know, grew up in church. This is a story where Jesus feeds a bunch of people, you know, out of thin air. But it starts with them having their whole uh, retreat taken over by crowds of people. Like people from all the villages, all the countrysides coming, beating them to the other side of this, this sea. And there, Jesus has compassion on them looks on them and says, these people don't even have a shepherd. They're like sheep wandering around in the wilderness. And so he begins to teach them. The disciples are proactive, and they go to Jesus, and they say, look, we are in the middle of nowhere, a desolate place. Uh, We should probably start describing parts of the world that way. It's just a desolate place. Oklahoma, just a desolate place. No, but he's saying, uh, they go to him, and they say, there's nothing out here. We should send them back. Send them home. We should tell them to go to all the village. We should spread them out strategically, and they should go basically enjoy the hospitality of all of these other towns and villages. They're thinking well. And then Jesus says, you feed them. You feed them. It's always, uh, it's the hardest part to like, for me to like read out loud. It's some of the, the like, I don't know, strictest words that Jesus actually says. He turns to them and says, well, you feed them. And they respond, I think, with like frustration and disbelief and agony. They say, are we supposed to go out there and spend half of a year's salary to feed these people? I think with, there's the frustration piece of the lack of resource. We do not have enough to do what you're asking us to do. We straight up do not have enough. You're telling us to feed these thousands of people. We came to you with a problem. Isn't that us learning? 
we have more faith now. Jesus, here's the problem, and we solved it for you. Jesus says, no, you feed them, and they're frustrated. Frustrated at what would be required to pay for it. Maybe they could scrounge up all of their money and their savings and, or take out a loan and feed all of these people for one meal. But does it seem worth it? Do we even have enough? Is that even wise? Is that what we could do with our money? And in that, I think if we put ourselves there, that's when our anxiety and our stress and our anger kind of flows out from us. Some of the people we get most angry at are the people that are asking us to give more than we can give. And so to Jesus, they say, how could you ask me to give you more? I don't have it. I don't have what it takes. I think you could even think a a big picture, you know, something that we dream about as a church is that we would see uh, one of these micro churches, as Jared explained, or one of these missional communities, one of them for every thousand people in Los Angeles. I mean, that's only like, what, like 900,000 of these or something? And right now we have eight? Jesus, you're asking us to do that. I also think that they kind of respond with, that's impossible. Just a straight disbelief. He says, you feed them, they say, that's not going to happen. It's impossible. And just to remind us, these are the same people who earlier that day were telling Jesus, we cast out all of these demons, we healed all of these people because of the power that you gave us. A few weeks ago, we were nobodies who could just fish, and suddenly we're able to like contribute to the kingdom of God this way through your power, but in this moment they're saying, it's impossible. I think that our faith becomes very weak Uh, when our souls are weary. These people were exhausted. Jesus saw that. He invited them to come and rest. Their faith diminishes when their souls are unrelying on God. The task seems for them like a tightrope. I think one that we can probably relate to. In City Seminary right now, we're talking about how to uh, live out the mission of God. And it's like, so we do justice and care for the poor and we share people like the gospel. We always have to take care of each other. And we also have to like love our wives and love our husbands. And we also need to care for our neighbors who don't know Jesus and that's okay. And we also have to do all this. And it feels like what's being asked of us is just so hard to put into a frame of mind. And Jesus says, what do you have? Go and see. They come to Jesus with all this frustration, this feeling of there's not enough, and he says, well, what do you have? What do you have? Go and see. Bring me, you're not enough. He doesn't debate with them and say, no, no, you've got enough, plenty. You should just give more. He says, what do you have? Whatever you have, go and see and bring it. And that's what they do. Jesus receives what they have that is clearly not enough. Talk about eight missional communities for the like 900,000 that we need. These people have uh, a few loaves of bread 
and a few fish. Jesus wants our insufficiency. He wants our not enough. He wants that breaking point where we say to him, this isn't going, like, what I have is not going to do it. What I'm capable of, what I can do, what I can accomplish, there's, there's not enough to go around. He wants whatever you have, however much you have of it, whatever it might be. But deeper than that, he says, bring me your not enough, I will make it more than enough. This is where we could go into some really awesome prosperity gospel stuff. But there's a truth that Jesus is saying, bring me what you do not have, and I will make it more than enough. More than enough to feed these people that are like sheep without a shepherd. I think we're very used to defining ourselves on our capacity or our abilities or our measure, you know, like of, of what we can accomplish. That's how we often define or think about ourselves. With Jesus, your capacity uh, is not defined by that, by you or what's possible with what you have. Your funds or your position or your status or your time, uh, what your co-workers view of you, what your parents say of you, none of that defines what is capable through your life. What defines it is who Jesus is and what he can do through you. Jesus says, bring me whatever you've got. Bring me your not enough. And he's going to do two things with it. He's going to be thankful for it. I mean, if ever there was a moment to let some people know, like, be a little bit more responsible, it's probably these people that took, like, their children, and they all just kind of walked out into the middle of nowhere with no food. And all they had to show with it for it was just a few loaves and fish. Instead, Jesus receives it, and he thanks God for it. He looks to the heavens, he praises God for it, he casts a blessing on it, saying, like, this is like the world being blessed. Through this, this bread... He's going to first be thankful for our not enough. I think in so many other areas of our lives, our not enough is the beginning of our like end, right? You go and tell your boss, you're like, you know, I, I'm just, I've reached full capacity. That's like the beginning of, like, you're not going to work here much more anymore, right? Jesus says, oh, I'm so thankful for your not enough. And then the second thing he's going to do is he's going to multiply it. Meaning uh, your neighbors might need a lot of help. A lot of help, a lot of skills, a lot of things that you can't give them. Jesus says, what do you have? Your friends and your community might require lots of care. Jesus says, what do you have? I'm thankful for it. People in your life might need tons of wisdom that you do not have or possess. Jesus says, what wisdom do you have? I'm thankful for it. You're not enough. Jesus wants it. And in Christ, it becomes more than enough. Then the third thing that Jesus says is, take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. 
after all this, after Jesus has them sit in green grass and he feeds them till they're full, he tells the disciples, get back in the boat and go to the other side again. It's a, it's a, you can like read the whole Gospel of Mark and they're just crossing this piece of water over and over again. Uh, and the people around them are beating them on foot. So you might think they should start walking, which they do, starting in chapter 9. Anyway, first eight chapters, they're just crossing this lake a bunch. They get in the boat and Jesus sends the crowds away. He sends them to the villages and the countryside. But now they're full. The disciples go out and they begin rowing against an intense headwind. Rowing against the wind. They're getting nowhere. When it says that Jesus goes by himself, he's praying and he can see them. And it says that it's like this watch in the night. It's between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. And they're out there still, trying to row against the wind. Painfully going inch by inch at a time. Man, doesn't... I mean, I could totally be the only one. But isn't that what life like actually feels like? Um, there's all these wonderful movies and TV shows about people, you know, like making a huge difference and then go out there and they just really, they just really do it. And about... 45 minutes from the second act to the conclusion, they've, you know, like, solved world hunger or saved the day, or if it's a Marvel movie, three hours, but that's still, like, over the course of three hours, they brought half the humanity back to life. But most of life doesn't feel like that at all. As I was trying to prepare, I can't think of a single moment in my life where it felt like the wind was at my back and I was just, like, zooming across to whatever it was that God had called me to, or whatever was just in front of me in life. It feels like uh, God's called us to love our families, love our neighbors, do good work, make contributions, care for our communities, give us this big purpose for our whole lives that what he's gifted us with and how he's created us is meant to be some big, grand thing, but then when we do it, we're rowing against the wind, making no headway. And here, there's these powerful words, Jesus sees them. It's kind of like when the people of Israel were crying out to God in their bondage and slavery that was brutal in Egypt, and then God says, I see them and I've heard their cry. Jesus sees them and then goes to them and he walks towards them. And when they see him, they're terrorized. They are filled with the kind of fear uh, that I always get. This happened yesterday. I was working on something in our yard, and Nora walked up like a little ninja and then said, Dad, and I like lost control of my whole body. I was so scared that there was someone behind me, right? It happens often, too, when I'm like at home at work, and then Mirella comes into the house, I don't hear her, and then suddenly I see her body move past me, and I freak out. Again, that could only be me. I might be the only scaredy cat. But that's basically what happens. They're so uh, in their labor, in their exhaustion. In the middle of the night, in, their, in their, that place, there comes this anxiety and even fear when the presence of, Je- of Jesus arrives. 
that they're so into the rowing, they're so into the exhaustion, that when Jesus comes, they're terrified. What is he doing here? How can this be? This must be something evil that's come against us. Again, remember, these are the people who like cast out demons just like earlier that day, right? But now they're terrified. And in that terror, and in that striving, Jesus says, take courage. Take heart. Let me give you some bravery and courage. The courage isn't just, you know, kind of a lot of times we think of courage as, well, you've got nothing to lose, right? So go out there and be brave like Rambo. But really, courage is actually, I have been given everything, so I do not need to be afraid. Jesus says, take courage. Take heart. Not only are you okay, but you could do anything. Anything could happen here. He says, be brave. Why? Why why should they be brave and have courage? Then he says, it's I. It is I. I'm here. I'm with you. I'm in the storm. I'm in the labor. I'm in the striving. I am here. Also, to be reminded of what uh, the story of Moses and the people being liberated out of captivity, where, where Moses goes to this burning bush and he says, well, who are you? And God says, I am. I am who I am. Yahweh. Which in our Old Testaments, that's always capitalized, all caps, Lord. Why should they be, be brave? Why should they have courage? I am, Yahweh, is out here on the waters with you. And then he says, don't be afraid. He doesn't say, stop striving. He doesn't say, I'm going to make it easy now. He doesn't say, here goes everything, we're all good now. He says, don't be afraid. I am with you. I saw you. I walked to you. I am with you. And then he gets in the boat and the seas become calm. Still waters, even. To cap off this whole series of stories, this seemingly very long day, says that the disciples were astonished, astounded, because they didn't understand about the loaves. What is it that they didn't understand? What did they not get from this? They didn't understand that Jesus was Yahweh. He was Lord. He was the God of the Old Testament. He was the I Am, the maker of heaven and earth. The God of Abraham. That's Jesus is the God of Abraham who, who led him through the wilderness to a home and made him a family and blessed him. That Jesus is Yahweh, the God of Moses, who led the people out, who, who held back the seas itself so that they could cross on dry land. That he's Yahweh. That's who Jesus is. That Jesus is the one uh, who fed them bread from heaven and water from a rock 
That's who Jesus is. They didn't understand. That Jesus is also Yahweh, the God, who anoints David to be king and sits him on a throne to be an image of what life could really look like under the proper rule. Jesus is the one that David wrote about when he said, Yahweh is my shepherd. And I want to just like point that specific piece out. Because what Mark has been doing for these, besides the lots of sea travel and boats, the first eight chapters of Mark really are about, if you had to break it down, who is Jesus? That's what it's all about. Each story, each thing that Jesus says, is all for us, the reader, to understand and to grapple with the identity of Jesus. And if you understand or remember uh, way back when, when we started this series, we said that uh, Jesus, or what we wanted to do with the studying of Jesus, was to know our hope and to live right under it, live next to it, to understand what it is that we hope for. And through all these stories, Mark's been saying, this is who Jesus is. He's the king. He's the arm that's reached in. He's the deliverer. He's the healer. He's the one who commands the seas and the waves. And in this set of stories, Mark is saying, Jesus is the Lord, your shepherd, the good shepherd. He is the shepherd that Paul writes about in Psalm 23 that we read in the beginning. The Lord Jesus is our shepherd. We shall want for nothing. We will need nothing. Jesus is the shepherd who makes us lie down in green pastures and leads us to still waters. It's great. In this story, uh, Jesus, after he receives the loaves and the fishes, and he, he commands the people to sit down in green grass and be fed. A feast, a cup, a table that overflows. Jesus is the good shepherd. He lies us down in clear waters and he refreshes the soul. He comes and he says, take courage. I am with you. And the waters become still. Jesus is the shepherd that came to us to dwell with us all the days of our lives. The disciples are out striving in the sea and Jesus comes to them, following them, like goodness and mercy, following them all the days of their lives. Jesus is the shepherd who looks on all of us with compassion, and he says, they are sheep without a shepherd, and he makes us his very own. Jesus says to you, just as he says, go Make disciples in this city. Just as he says, go do your work excellently with joy. He also says to you, come and rest a while with me. Bring me your not enough. I'm thankful for it. He also says, do not be afraid. Take heart. I am with you. The Lord is your shepherd. The shepherd of your soul the shepherd of mission, the shepherd of our church. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for...
the beauty of your scriptures. Uh, that, that we come to it and in our hearing, we're transformed. Jesus, I pray for our hearts and our souls that they would not be weary, that you would fill us with courage, but that you would meet us here and give us rest. That you would become the rest that we rely on. That we would hear your voice and discern it when you call us to go to quiet places. That you would restore our souls. That you would feed us. That you would give us living water. That we would be nourished. That we will not fear evil because you are with us. And that you comfort us. Jesus, we pray that we would be comforted this morning. That you are with us all the days of our lives. We pray that we will not be terrified by your presence. But that we will be filled with courage because of your presence. We need courage, Jesus. We need rest. Thank you for your work in our hearts this morning. Amen.